are just about done with 2 Corinthians. Scary thought, huh? People have asked me, where do I think I'm going to go after this? I like to go with what I'm reading consistently every day. So I'll give you a heads up. It's Colossians, Ephesians, the Gospel of John, 1 Timothy, or 1 Thessalonians. And I don't know which one. <laughs> so, but that's what I've been reading. Somewhere in that grouping, we may find out. So, maybe not, too. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me, and who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you, for indeed he was crucified because of weakness, but he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet... We will live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. Father, help us to understand. Help us to, to draw deep from the words of the Apostle Paul in the power of your spirit, the authority of your word. And Father, as we look around at our day and our age, there's so many parallels, I don't even know where to begin. And yet, Father, you, your plan's right on track. Thank you, my King. Thank you that you continue to do great things among your people, through your people, by your people. To you, my Lord, my Savior. Amen. We are in a section that started back in verse 20 and we'll go through the end of this letter. That is the process of sanctification. We are in what I call step number three. We have already looked at step one was repentance. Step two was discipline. And now we're looking at step three, authority. It's fascinating as I, as I historically look at the city of Corinth, as I, I look at the history of our country, as I look at the church, I brought this up in Sunday school, if you look chronologically at the letters to the churches, you will see a slow degrading of what the church is called to based on the issues that the author is writing about. Okay. Let me see if I can give you a big picture on authority and what you're up against. All right. Let's see, see if I can help you with this. When I look at America, the United States of America, it has whole, always been an independent country. You could even say fiercely independent. I mean, all the way from the revolution Till today, there has been a battle for our independence. We, we continually fight over and over and over again. Most people tried to say that the battle over a centralized government was settled in the Civil War. I would say then you've been asleep since the Civil War because it still continues on. When I look at the federal government, I think of the great philosopher that said, if you give a mouse a cookie, it will want a glass of milk. Okay? I don't know what that philosopher's name was, but he was smart or she was smart. I also look at our country and I, I see those who settled in the West, who were the explorers, those who moved across the Appalachians, and found the Ohio Valley, uh, the plains of Kansas, the Rocky Mountains, and then eventually got to the Pacific Ocean. And one of the things that I have seen, they are noted, uh, I've seen this on the History Channel a couple, about a month ago, that they were the legends of self-reliance. Perhaps. Yet that independent spirit that we have, never has a lot of use for authority. Okay? I am a product of the 60s. People don't understand the 60s, but one of the underlying tones that was always thrown out was the counterculture. It was against the culture. It was counter to the culture. You see uh, the psychedelic stuff. Long hair on men, short skirts on women, free love. 
And one of the great things that I remember emphatically about that era, the 60s and 70s, was a disregard for all authority. Not only that, most people believed that authority was corrupt. As with social trends, a negative view of spiritual authority shows up. The church is supposed to affect the culture. Seldom does it. Normally, the culture affects the church. That disregard for authority is alive and well and thriving in the body of Christ. And, and, and I hear all of them, all of the reasoning that is behind it. You need to understand something. The original birth of the Southern Baptist Convention denomination was led by elders. And one of the elders was set aside to be the full-time shepherd with a plurality of leadership. It was not until the 1890s when a guy wanted to reinvent the role of deacons that you started finding people calling deacons leaders. That morphed into what is now known as congregational rule. Okay? Part of this zeal to make the church more non-authoritative is so that the church will be more appealing to non-Christians. And you see that morphing even beyond. They want a decentralized authority. Congregational rule. All right. They move to non-denominational churches. All right. Because they don't want the authority or the critique of a denomination. They also want to be, quote unquote, non-affiliated. All of these, the underlying theme is, I don't want authority. It is a passion for the body of Christ in our society today to remove authority from the hands of pastors and elders. And we want the congregation to be the ultimate authority. Someone has said, an author, that church leadership, the structure, has become horizontal versus vertical, unquote. I have been in this church since 1985, I think. And I have seen this. I first started attending this church. We were in the high 200s in membership. Okay. And I would watch it and it would go to about 350. And those in authority would explode it. It would drop down to about one and a half, 150. It would grow again to about three, 350. And those in authority would explode it. And I don't know how many times I watched that happen. And when I say those in authority, do you understand who I'm talking about? You. Can you tell me where in the Bible it says that the congregation has the ability to remove a pastor? Do not receive an accusation against an elder unless there are two or three witnesses. During that time, we uh, finally got tired of swelling and exploding, and we voted in elder rule. Guess what happened? It exploded again. Okay? And here we sit today. It has been in the church, and I've seen it go on and on over and over again. And even now, when I speak of elder to other Baptists, you would have thought that I have just used profanity. To put the congregation in charge of the authority of the church, to use Linsky's term, is mutiny against the Scriptures. That would say that if Satan came in, 
who would be a very strong theologian and ask for membership in the church, he has the same vote as everybody else in the church. And I'm sure he would be looking out for the welfare of the body of Christ. Okay? Linsky said it's mutiny against the Scriptures. I say it's mutiny against the Lord of the church. This is not our church. It is His church. It is difficult in this country. And here's probably the greatest problem that we have with authority in the church. Our country is a democracy. Or at least a representative republic. Okay? Guess what? Church ain't. It is a monarchy. And you are... And I are subject to the king, to his whims, to his ways, to his principles, to his power. It is a monarchy. And believers are subjects to the kingdom of God, first and foremost, the Father. In John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, if you don't think this isn't important, then get your pencil out, because the same statement is made in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Mark chapter 12, verse 34. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. Acts chapter 28, verse 31. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. Whose kingdom is it? God's kingdom. Oh, by the way, did you know that it is the kingdom of Christ? Matthew chapter 13, verse 41 says, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and he will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and all of those who commit lawlessness. Who is the Son of Man? Jesus. So the church is ruled by God the Father, God the Son. How important is this? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 28. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 5, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2, and 2 Peter chapter 1 11. And everybody looks at me like I didn't keep up. Get it online. Okay? I want you to know this because this isn't something that you just come up with. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. It belongs to His Father, God. The only true authority that is in the church comes from its head. Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. Okay. Now then, understanding who is the head of the church. God the Father, God the Son. Okay. That authority, because of God the Father, God the Son, is delegated by Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit to those who will preach and teach His Word. That's the difference between an elder and a deacon. An elder can teach. Deacon doesn't. Okay? So He puts the authority that is represented by Him through the pastor elders. So the argument for a decentralized authority of the church rejects God's ordained leaders also rejects the authority of Christ, the church's head. And based on the authoritative word of God, true biblical teaching is authoritative. And we struggle with that. Let me tell you something. I have read a lot about leadership, spiritual leadership, church leadership, a lot Okay, a lot of it ain't worth the paper it's written on. A lot of it is. Some of it is. And one of the things that I've kind of barreled it, broke it down to is what is the preacher's goal? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? 
Okay, listen. It is not to make people feel good about themselves. That is not the preacher's goal, the elder's goal. Nor is it to entertain you. The preacher's goal is to accurately present the truth of God's word. And in doing so, call for obedience and call the people to submit to the scripture's authority. Or reject it. If you choose to reject it, there's 53 other churches in this town that will gladly accept you. Okay, you know what is amazing about that? That goal? That is the same goal that the preacher has to unbelievers. God does not share his message as an option. Something to be considered. You know what? God doesn't even suggest that unbelievers repent. He commands people everywhere to repent. Acts 17.30 Matthew chapter 3 verse 2 Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 and Mark 6.12 calls for people everywhere to repent. Non-negotiable. Not an option. Not an opinion. When the preacher is stripped of their authoritative element or authority of the pulpit, sermons become nothing but a weak counterfeit of true spiritual blessing. There's nothing there. It is useless. It is absolutely useless. Listen, the Lord himself set an example For the preachers to follow. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning in verse 28. When Jesus had finished these words, what was Jesus doing? Preaching. When he had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teachings. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Even Jesus' enemies acknowledged his authority. Demanding of him, his enemies, in Mark eleven twenty eight. By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you the authority to do these things? And yet in John's gospel, he explained it. That I think we miss too often. Beginning at verse 14. One of the things that is astonishing to me. Is that people can say. He taught with authority. He taught like no one else. That's fine. To a point. The problem is. When someone. Now I want you to think about this. Because when someone teaches with authority now. What is the response? The same as in Jesus' day. They don't want to hear it. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 14 of the Gospel of John. But when it was now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and he began to teach. The Jews were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned? having never been educated. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but he who has sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. Listen, his authority was from his father. He understood that. John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 28. So Jesus said, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know I am he and I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak these things as the father taught me. Verse 38, 
I speak these things that I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things you have heard from your father. Verse 40. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth. Which I heard from God. This Abraham did you not do. Also, John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 49 and following. Listen, New Testament preachers are following the Lord's example. They also proclaim the word with force, with confidence, with clarity. Those that are his. John MacArthur called it a binding force, unquote. It's not a suggestion. It usually makes people mad. But it's still not a suggestion. The Great Commission in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verse 20. Teaching the people to observe all that he had commanded. Observe all that he had commanded. That means more than having a candlelight service. It's authority. It's authority. This has been passed down. First Timothy chapter four. Verse 11. Prescribe and teach these things, Timothy. Paul to Timothy. Paul to Titus. Titus chapter two, verse 15. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Even Peter. First Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who speaks the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do as one serving by the strength with God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Listen, the Lord of the church delegates the authority of the scriptures to the leaders of the church. Now, you may not like it. Tell the head of the church. See, it's important to remember that their authority does not come from their personalities. It does not come from their communication skills. It does not come from charisma. You know, a, a good speaker, a good orator. It does not come from an ordination or an education even. The authority does not come from a hierarchy. It doesn't even come from a church that grants the authority. A pastor, an elder, doesn't even get their authority from spiritual experience. What do you see in the body of Christ today? Let me say it. All of these. There's a sole source for the authority of a pastor elder. For all... Who would teach and preach. They would lead is the word of God. What the church is desperately in need of. Is not decentralized. Dialogue or decentralized authority. But a careful. Clear. Authoritative. Exposition and proclamation of the scripture. Period. And right now, in this day and age, the church is desperate. Absolutely desperate. Listen, there is no surprise to me that surveys say and polls say that churchgoers want less authority in the church. Okay? Let me give you a letter I just received this week. An ironic kind of. Dear friends, 
In light of theological shift within the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, the Master's College withdrew from the organization November the 3rd, 2015. We have increasing concerns about the directions of the CCCU given the vast majority of member schools do not accept the Genesis account of creation or the inerrancy of Scripture. Two former CCCU schools have demonstrated that opinions are also shifting away from the Bible's teaching on marriage and sexuality. There are likely other member institutions that are not faithful to the biblical position. The CCCU's willingness to offer affiliated status to these two schools and an affirmation of 75% of the member college president raised serious questions as to whether the organization still holds to biblical Christianity. The Master's College remains firmly committed to our motto, for Christ and Scripture, unquote. And our doctrinal statement which reads in parts, we teach the word of God is objective propositional revelation. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13, first Corinthians two, verse 13. Verbally inspired in every word, second Timothy three, 16, absolutely inerrant in the original documents, infallible, God breathed. We teach the literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of the scriptures, which affirms the belief that the opening chapters of Genesis present creation in a six literal days, Genesis 1.31, Exodus 31.17, describe the special creation of man and woman, Genesis 1, 26 and 28, 2, 5 and 25, and define marriage as between one man and one woman, Genesis 2.24 and Matthew 19.5. Thank you for continued prayers as we seek to honor God in the midst of our nation's shifting moral culture. Yours for the master, President John MacArthur. That's my daughter's college. The CCCU is a national institution that represents all Christian colleges. And you get your accreditation through that as a Christian college. And they don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. What is it you do for a living? No surprise then that the surveys say we want less authority. Listen, to non-believers and what I kind of classify as marginal believers, they do not want to be under the authority of scriptures. And there's a whole bunch of places they can go. When you think about an accreditation council, that is as big as the CCCU. What are you expecting? Those who authoritatively preach the word with conviction and clearly challenge the hearers to obey will never be popular with unbelievers or marginal believers. Such preaching means one person telling others what is true and what to do. Now think about that phrase a second. One person telling others what is true and what to do. How does that work? I can tell you, not very well. Listen, that runs against our culture. Our culture right now holds to the view that all people's views are equally valid. Whatever you believe is true is good for you. Regardless of what you do on Sunday morning. Authority is being undermined at every level of our society. Every level. I have four reasons that it's being undermined. I'm, I'm giving you this because I'm getting ready to go into a thing that's going to offend you. It deals with authority. Okay? I grew up that authority was to be questioned. That's the counterculture. All right? Four reasons. Probably the foremost reason 
is rebellion against God's authority. Rebellion against God's authority. I would call that the essence of sin. Therefore, rejecting authority comes natural to fallen mankind. All right? Let me break it out to you. The rejection of authority. Started with one that you have all heard of. I hope you've not met him. But one that you all know of. Satan. Satan. That's where it started. You can see it in Isaiah 14, 14. Isaiah 14, 14. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 16. 28, 12 through 16. Here's what it says. Satan pridefully. To make himself like the Most High. Unquote. That is against the authority of God, don't you think? That's the essence of sin. All right. Well, okay, that's the angelic host. Then we have Eve. Eve took rebellion against authority and brought it to the human level. Genesis 3, 6. Adam joined her rebellion and collapsed the human race into sin. Romans 5, 12. In verse 14, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. But the best to see how this works by Adam and Eve's bringing it to humanity is Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. That is the essence of rebellion, the essence of sin. And as their way of life, they refuse to this day to obey his law or to do his will. Okay, so the first step is to denigrate God and oppose his authority. Secondly, the absence of moral absolutes. When you get rid of God, guess what? You don't have to have moral absolutes. If you reject the divine standards of Scripture, people have nothing left but opinion. That is your opinion. This is my opinion. Now tell me that that's wrong. Look around and tell me. Even those who are following Christ, quote unquote, have a very low view of him. And therefore, my moral compass is driven by me. And I will validate what I need. What I have seen today in morality is the same thing I see in climate change. Okay? It is determined by popular consensus. Okay? I remember watching I Dream of Genie. The cold counterculture was growing leaps and bounds, and it was against the law to show her belly button on television. I would give anything if I could watch television and not see a belly button or more. Why? What has happened to our culture? I've watched the progression. I mean, it is so amazing to me. There can be no authority if there are no absolutes. And if your absolute is your absolute, and your absolute is your absolute, and my absolute is my absolute, we're all good. Listen, I don't want you to be troubled over this. Read the book of Judges. This is not a new phenomenon. And I want you to look at our culture today. I mean, we can look at it and they're after our guns. They're, you know, trying to blow us up. They're going to take all of our money to change the weather or whatever it is they're going to do. Okay. Judges 17, 6. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. Tell me what I'm seeing. To question, actually, to question one's opinion is intolerable. That's your opinion, happy for you. To question that is to come against authority. Thirdly, this one is critical. We don't think so. I've watched it. I've seen it. I've lived it. 
Okay, this is more danger in the body of Christ than you can ever imagine. Okay, and it goes back a ways. The failure of parents to discipline their children. Okay, when that happens, they undermine authority. Okay, and I can tell you as as old as I am right now, I would say at least one generation has now prospered without parental discipline. All right? What's scary about that is that now they are raising children. And they are raising children without discipline. Listen, brothers and sisters, how important is this? I've had people who leave this church because we don't have a worship service for their children. You want to give me the biblical precedence for that? Anybody? Want to tell me where that's at in the Bible? Okay. They're your kids. You train them. I'm training you. You train your children. Listen, I hate to break the news to you. That's the fruit of the home. Why do I see an explosion of sexual immorality? It's the fruit of the home. Why do I see the homosexual agenda? We just had this discussion this week on transgenders is becoming the norm. That's not norm. Well, I have an 11 year old. An 11 year old that doesn't know whether it's a boy or a girl. Did you change its diaper? That's silly. That that defies that didn't even qualify as being compared to logic. That is a undisciplined child who became a parent who is now raising an undisciplined child. And the second generation will be worse than the first. Why is there divorce in the home? Undisciplined children. Why are there working mothers? Undisciplined children. And you know what? We are starting now to see the devastation that it has on the children. Okay? And it's because we won't discipline. We want them to be our friend. I want to knock you into next month. Friend? Listen, my dad took a belt to me one time and I had had an everlasting effect. All right? When he told me no, I said, okay. When he told me to do something, okay. And I had an effect view of authority that is different. Having failed to, listen, a child having failed to learn when they have divorce in the home, when they have all of the tragedies, the working parents, and all of this stuff that is going on, when they have that and they fail to learn discipline, when they fail to learn discipline, guess what goes with it? Self-control. And let me tell you something. What does a society look like that has no self-control? And yet that is foundation to the unity of the family. That family unit is foundation to the society. You will take your children if you do not discipline them and they will be unprepared to accept authority at any setting. Rebellious children pose such a serious threat to every society's stability that it shows up in the Mosaic Law. Okay? The second law, Deuteronomy, was given to Moses for Israel to enter into the Promised Land. Okay? Now, you got to ask yourself a question. Is God the same yesterday, today, and forever? Are you sure you want to say that? 
Are you sure? All right, part of what he's dealing with is domestic relationships, societal relationships. Chapter 21 of Deuteronomy. Let me read to this and ask you if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 21, beginning of verse 18. If any man has a stubborn or rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when he has chastened him, he will not even listen to him, then his father and his mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, and he will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death, so you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all of Israel will hear of it and fear. Is God the same today, yesterday, today, and forever? What does he say about a rebellious child that will not stand for discipline? Kill it. And you know what? The other kids are going to say, huh? Do you see what they did to Mikey? You don't have random shootings. You don't have drive-by shootings. You don't have gangs. You don't have broken homes. And it's a simple thing. Discipline your children. And yet it is that lack of discipline now, at least a generation, possibly two, of children, that part of the lack of, a, of, of understanding the authority structure is missing in our society today. In case you think I'm making this up, you can also look at Exodus chapter 21, verses 15 and 17, Leviticus 20, verse 9, and Proverbs 30, verse 17. It is crucial and it is missing. Fourthly is personal rights. Socrates, I read a lot of Socrates when I was a young man because I was in the counterculture. And Socrates sounded like he was counterculture. Actually, you find out he was conservative to the culture of the Greeks, but uh, that's another point. Socrates says the first democracy was Greek. Okay? Socrates concluded that democracy cannot last. You know why? Everyone will demand their own rights. And at some part, it will only be anarchy, unquote. What do we have today? I'll tell you, humanism erodes authority. Why? Because I'm smart. I know what I'm saying. You don't understand. One author I read about this, uh, Sanders, <laughs> he wrote a thing on uh, church leadership. And I thought it was... <laughs> I thought it was quite good myself. Quote, society is engulfed in a narcissistic sea of personal freedom. Unquote. That's kind of cool. I wish I'd have thought that up. A narcissistic sea of personal freedom. It is our rights. Personal rights will erode authority. It is hostile to anything or anyone that would limit freedom. Okay? You command people today, and that is as politically incorrect as you can get. One of the many problems that was plaguing the Corinthian church in our text was a rebellion that was being stirred by false teachers on the authority of the Apostle Paul. Okay? You've got to understand something about the Apostle Paul and, and the writing of the Corinthian letters. There was no New Testament to sign it up to. When he speaks of the Scriptures to the Corinthians, he's speaking Old Testament. He said he was an apostle sent by God. And the false were coming in to go against Paul's apostolic authority. We have seen it much in this book. Okay. See, the false want to replace Paul. Remember, they use the term super apostles. Okay. You've got these little menial apostles, but we are super apostles. We have letters of commendation from the people in Jerusalem. To replace Paul, they had to undercut his authority. He has no authority to be an apostle. 
And if you think about it, he was in an odd place. He had arrested Christians. He had, had been there for the death of Stephen. He was, you know, against the church. But he had also made the Jews mad because he had left the Pharisees. So he was sort of like a man without a people, a following. That's why God sent him to the Gentiles. That's why they would attack him, saying he had no one else to listen. So he came to you, the Gentiles. No, he was sent to the Gentiles. I would imagine that the Apostle Paul would have preferred to hang out with the Jews. They argued that Paul wasn't a true apostle. He had no true authority. We can go back to our letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by all men. You see this argument coming up again. Chapter 2, verse 7. And so on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, one might be overwhelmed by his excess sorrow. This is the confrontation of the man in immoral sin. Had his father's wife. And he says, now he's overwhelmed by sorrow. You should comfort him. Well, why should I listen to you, Paul? Why should I listen to you? Chapter 10. Verse 8. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up, not for destroying you, I will not be put to open shame. Chapter 13, verse 10. For this reason, I'm writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance to the authority which the Lord gave me and building up, not tearing down. Okay, he did not have a secret sin. That is what some would accuse him of. He defeated that back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. But he contrasted to the false in Jeremiah chapter 5, 30 and 31. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule on their own authority. And my people love it so. But what will you do at the end of it? So that's one of the tragedies. People don't want the authority. And they love it so. Do you understand the outcome then? Paul did not preach himself. Paul did not make up a message. Paul did not preach his own message. Paul preached Christ and him crucified. 2 Corinthians 4.5. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. His message was given to him by his king. The one under whose authority he was. Paul had a passion. He did not want to show off. I showed you that text. 2 Corinthians 6, 6 and 7. Listen, the key to spiritual leadership is that it's not about the leader. It is about he who sent the leader. In this text that we will move into next week, he describes the assault on his authority. Verse 3, seeking proof of the Christ. But he also speaks of his duty to speak the truth commandingly, confidently. I have listened to men preach and they were not confident when they preached. And the only thing I could think was, please sit down. If you do not believe what it says, be quiet. You haven't been sent. Brothers and sisters, step three of the process of sanctification is authority and we have a long way to go to understand it. We have a long way to go to understand it. Okay, and I do understand that there are those who have taken and abused it. Okay, but I can also look at you and smile real big and say, that's what Jeremiah talked about. So you follow a false prophet. Sorry. See what I mean? But in this day and age, understand non-believers and marginal believers, okay, will not want to hear authoritative preaching of the authority of God's Word. 
But it's not new. Every man doing what is right in their own eyes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Father, I ask for us who are gathered today that we be guarded. That, Father, we be overwhelmed by your presence. But, Father, we would look around and, yes, Father, it is sad. And yet, Father, for such a time as this, you have sent each of us. Help us, Lord. Help us to drink deep of your word so that we, as I, we look this morning, would be rooted and grounded by faith, understanding the love of Jesus Christ. Father, you created us. Therefore, you know what is best for us. Help us, my King. Help us. Help us to rest in the assurances that you will complete in us that that you have called us to. Lord, these are dangerous times. I just give four reasons that authority is undermined. And yet, Father, we would look at the task and say it's impossible. But, Father, we can also look at the task and say, with you, all things are possible. Help me, my Lord. Help me to walk in a manner worthy. And, Father, may those who see me follow. But, Father, for these brothers and sisters, may they fall in love more and more with you. And, Father, understand that they are setting examples for those that are in their homes, but, Father, for those who are not in their homes. Help us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.